All right. In the book of Jude, you may need a Bible dictionary this morning, possibly. Possibly, depends. All right. Book of Jude. We have begun our study of the book. We spent a couple of weeks doing kind of laying down a foundation for the book of Jude. Uh, We did that by looking at three very important kind of concepts. Those three concepts were the faith. Okay, let's make sure we don't forget that one. The faith, all right? The faith, because that is key to everything, right? If there is the faith, then that means other faiths are not the faith, right? The faith means we have to define it. We have to know what it is. We talked about how the faith has been defined throughout church history. We went through a long history uh, from uh, how the church uh, was involved to switching over to scriptures. And we looked, at, we looked at all of that, okay? Then we talked about what other two concepts? Invasion. And insurgency. And what's the focus of the, when we speak of an invasion, what was the focus of that? What was the focus of understanding an invasion as it relates to the faith? It's an external coming in, right? And, and that constantly occurs, yes? The invasion constantly is happening. And, who, and we t- approached it in a little bit of a different way, right? Because typically when churches speak of the invasion, they speak of the big, bad, ugly world out there that you know, wants to destroy Christianity. But really, how does the invasion actually occur? We bring it in. Make sure we bring it in, Okay? Because we are more influenced by the culture than, than we're influenced by the Word of God. That has been true throughout 2,000 years of church history, right? Wasn't that true of the Church of Corinth? Over and over and over and over, the people of the, of, of the church are influenced by the culture, all right? So, we go from uh, the invasion to then what? The insurgency. And how does the insurgency happen? Yeah, you have those who, who are in the church who now have brought in really the concepts of the world, and then guess what happens? They begin to try to circumvent and do what? Redefine the faith. Please remember, they try to redefine the faith. They try to redefine the faith. And once the faith gets redefined, then the faith no longer exists. Right? So we, t- we talked all about that. Then... We, we did kind of a, we did a background of the book. We did kind of an overview of the book. I'm not going to review all of that. And we started looking at the first section. And how, what's the first section in our outline? We called it the greeting, right? And what did we note from the uh, greeting? Let's look at Jude verses 1 and 2, which makes up the greeting, right? Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. What did we? What parts of the greeting did we study? Right, we studied who the author was, and that is Jude, right? Okay. Then from the author, we looked at how did the author refer to himself? Yeah. When we looked at the author, there was a certain ways he described himself as a servant. What was significant about that? What is the Greek word? Doulos. And what, is it, what does it mean? A slave. Okay. And it's giving up yourself to the will of another. That's very, very important, all right? So Jude refers to himself as a servant of whom? Of Jesus Christ. And so this is very much a challenge because as Christians we have to see ourselves as being a servant, which means giving up ourself to the will of another. We spent a considerable amount of time looking at that. Not only does he refer to himself as a servant, he refers to himself as what? A brother of whom? James. Why was this significant? Well, remember we said the possible who that James could be? Brother of Jesus, right? So what is significant here? He doesn't refer to himself as his connection with Jesus as far as a possible relative. He refers to himself as what in relation to Jesus? A servant. And remember we talked about the, the significant 
uh, of that. All right. So that we uh, was there anything else we spoke of in re- regards to all of that? I think we cut. That's where we stopped. Right. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now we go from the author to what in the greeting? The recipients, the recipients. We go to the recipients, all right? So we've looked at the author. Now we're going to look at the recipients. And the recipients are described in what two ways? Sanctified and preserved, all right? To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So there's actually three ways that they are described. Sanctified preserved, called. Sanctified, preserved, and called. And we're going to spend this morning working on the first one. All right? Sanctified. So, where should we start? Now, just remember, before we do anything else, it, it would be very easy to do what when we read that? It'd be very easy just to skip it and move on, right? Okay, yeah, they're sanctified, they're preserved, they're called. Yeah. But... But it brings up some very important issues. So, let's start with the word sanctified. What should we do first? Let's look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. Let's start there, all right? Let's look up sanctified there to get a basic understanding of the word that is used here, all right? Let's go to the Blue Letter Bible app, if I can find it. There it is, okay. I already have the word pulled up. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? The Greek word is? Strong's G37, Hagiadzo. 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 All right, Hagiadzo. It's used how many times in the King James? 29 times. All right. It is translated in the following manner. Sanctify 26 times, hallow two times, and be holy one time, hagiadzo, the definition is to what? To make holy, purify, consecrate, to venerate, hallow, be holy, sanctify. So, the, according to Strong's definition, it is to make holy. Stop right here. And immediately we should go, whoa, slow down, pause. Go back to Jude 1, or to Jude Verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God. Okay, please say what you said. Has happened. You are sanctified. Okay, it's not necessarily a reference to being. Now we could get into is it in, we could get into the tense and is it is it does it show continuing action? We could have a, a long discussion there. But the point is, it seems to imply. How does the NIV translate it? It doesn't say sanctify. You've got to leave it to the good old NIV. Okay, okay, uh, the NIV. Called, loved, and kept. All right. That's it. That's interesting. They just completely throw, throw, throw the concept out. But the word, okay, well, kept, that would be preserved. Yeah. So that, that, that must be a completely different. Loved? I, I don't know. I, obviously, they're a different manuscript, completely different terminology, right? This is where we, well, that's sometimes can be maddening. Okay, but. All right, so we're going to go with the sanctified being there, okay, because I think it's important, all right? So, sanctified, if we go with the idea of hagiadzo, is simply put to make holy, all right, if, that, if that's what it references, then how do we understand the sanctification that's being spoken of here? It has to be positional because I guarantee there's not one person in, in, in that he's writing to that's holy. There's not one person who's ever lived in Christianity who's been holy because holy means what? 
completely separate from sin. God is holy. Okay, if you walk around and call yourself holy, you're calling yourself, I mean, you're, you're, you've, you're delusional and you need mental help, right? Because, no, there's, so this clearly indicates a certain aspect of sanctification that maybe we would not necessarily think about. Just stay with me and you'll see why. All right. It's used how many times? 39 times, right? 39, is that right? 29. I'm sorry, 29. That's a number. You expect me to get it wrong. Okay. All right. So then it shows, we, we could go, I almost want to do this, go through every reference. We won't do that right now. If we go for the outline of biblical usage, what do we have? To render or acknowledge or to be venerable or, or hollow, right? To separate to separate from profane things and dedicate, and dedicate to God, consecrate things to God, dedicate people to God. All right? That second usage seems to indicate what kind of concept? Set apart. Set apart for a use or for a holy use. All right? That's okay. possible. Next. The next outline, uh, next part of the outline of biblical usage. To purify, to cleanse externally, to purify, free from the guilt of sin. And that interesting. Free from the guilt of sin. To purify internally by renewing of the soul. So the people that Jude is writing to they are sanctified by God. They have, something has happened to them, but remember, it's by God. Yes? And so this almost gives some idea that this sanctification possibly refers to a kind of a positional kind. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to step back, and we're going to look at a theory in regards to sanctification. No, I don't think so. Right, but I'm saying it's it's they're. I don't. I think they're using completely different manuscripts. So I don't even think the same. Yeah, I, that's why I'm saying I don't. Like we can try to say loved. Yeah, it, it, it just yeah, it's a completely kind of different concept, right? So um, I'm not saying love is not a part of it, but I'm just saying I just don't think it really captures it. Uh, correctly, if that makes sense. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw out a concept about sanctification that is sometimes referred to as the five stages of sanctification. And I know you're all super familiar with it, right? Five stages of sanctification. Okay. All right, five stages of sanctification. Okay. We're going to look at this and see. And the reason why is just like, there, just like with everything within theology, just like there, within everything within Christianity, uh, obviously there's never agreement on anything. And there's, much, there's lots of disputes about sanctification. All right? There's lots of disagreements in regards to sanctification. What are some of the uh, disagreements in regards to sanctification? Okay, monergistic and synergistic. Yeah, that's a, con- that's a debate within the reform world, okay? Meaning that uh, if sanctification is monergistic, what does that mean? God does it for you. Whatever sanctification you have, God gave you. Whatever sanctification you don't have, God hasn't given to you. Right? And there's really not much you can do about it because it's monergistic. God does it. Right there, there's there's a kind of a beauty in that, right? And some would say it flows logically. If you believe in a, a monergistic justification, you have to believe in a monergistic sanctification. Would be the argument, okay? That that would be the argument. There is a beauty in it because you're because you can't take any credit for your sanctification, right? That there is a beauty in that. What's the danger in it? I mean, what, what are you going to say to me? I mean, you know, hey, well, you're, you're not sanctified enough. Well, talk to God. But you know what you did last night? Well, I haven't been sanctified past it. Now, some people say, well, you're making an excuse. I mean, it's hard not to make an excuse if, that, if it's all completely monergistic. If it's synergistic, what does that imply? 
And we're involved in the process. Now, the sanctification mentioned here in Jude seems to be re referencing something done by whom? Almost a monergistic concept, right? right? So, okay, what else? So, what, what are some other possible disagreements in regards to sanctification? Ah, what's that called? Sometimes referred to as the second blessing. That you get, you get, you're justified, and then as you're saved, then you strive for and you reach a second blessing, which puts you, you boom, now you, re, you experience a sanctification of almost sinless perfection. Okay? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a I'm going to say common, but it, it's definitely, I've got a, we, we could go, we'll have to do a, we'll do a, a, a historic overview of that. Wow, that's pretty. Uh-huh. And, and was it cold being around someone who's perfect? <laughs> oh, so they didn't, they didn't really hold, did it? Didn't really hold, did it? it? Isn't it weird how people always think they're, they're more godly than they actually are? Okay, yeah, because it always usually shows up that you're not, right? Okay, all right, it said it didn't work. Oh, of course. I know. It, well, that, that's the whole thing. But, all right, so there's that. What's another disagreement? A big one. We've talked about it a lot. We may not have used the word sanctification. Oh, it's a big one. You may not think of it this way. See, I don't think I have the book here. Oh, yeah, I do. Dun, 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 dun. Dramatic up holding, a, holding up a book for those online. Ah, the Gospel According to Jesus by MacArthur. Now, I, some people may not see this having anything to do with sanctification, but it does. I have it right here. I have the expanded anniversary edition. What does that have to do with sanctification? Oh, come on. That you judge your justification on the basis of your sanctification. How do you know if you're justified? Your sanctification, which then means you are judging the... the based off of practical righteousness, then what must have happened in justification? I didn't get just an imputed. I had to be get an actual righteousness, right? Okay, remember that's the remember that's the whole. Everyone's got to, everyone's got to understand that. If it's how do you judge an imputed righteousness? You can't. It's accredited. Does an imputed righteousness make you righteous? It does not. Remember that was Luther's like. It doesn't change you. Okay, Luther was like it. You're still. Dirt! You're, in fact, I'll use his words, you're still dung! Okay? It's, you're imputed. Now, if I judge it that way, you see where this becomes problematic, right? So I have an imputed righteousness, but you're going to judge my imputed righteousness by a practical righteousness. Well, how can my practical righteousness ever pute, uh, prove an imputed righteousness? Because how good is the imputed righteousness? Perfect! Completely perfect and holy. And so if I have an imputed righteousness that's perfect and holy, how can you come along and then take away my imputed righteousness because I haven't demonstrated enough practical righteousness? And how much practical righteousness is required to prove an imputed righteousness? Does anybody know how much? Well, we run to, we go, we go, we grab, we grab the MacArthur test, Right? All right, do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? <laughs> well, well, will say, well, it's not, you don't have to do it perfectly, but you, okay. So how much imperfection can I demonstrate to demonstrate that I have a perfect imputed righteousness? You see, this becomes logical fallacies all day long. But this is a major debate within the evangelical world. We scream imputed, but we preach infused. Well, we condemn Catholics to the 18th level of hell. 
And then Catholics are like, you people are more Catholic than we are. Does that make sense? So these are, these are, these are all, are there any more debates about, about sanctification? Uh, probably, okay. That's always a good answer. Probably, yeah. There's always plenty, right? There's always plenty. We, we could go more. But, but so, what are, how do we understand this sanctification from a five stages? Let, let's, let's see if, how this works. What would be the first stage? What would be the first stage if we believe in a five-stage approach to it? What would be the first stage? It's very theological. Okay. Where would it have to start? Thank you, someone. Well, we spent like 18 years in Romans 8. All of a sudden, we, okay, and everybody's like, I just forgot Romans 8. Where would it have to start? Election. Why? Okay, if he chose us, he did what? Remember, what, what are the possible meanings of sanctification? No. Well, that is one of the meanings. Set apart, right? To set apart. Are you not set apart? Yes. An election, you are set apart. If I, has anybody ever experienced this? Okay, I need two team captains, right? And pick a team. Okay, right? I pick Robert. Okay. Skip and Joel. Okay, okay. Emma, okay, right, you pick the team, right, and you're always like, well, some people, usually the poor kid's always like, I don't want to be last, right, okay, okay, usually the kid doesn't want to be last, okay, and you get picked, well, when you get picked, are, have you been separated from the other kids? Yeah, if I choose Robert, now in sport, when you're doing it for sports, you're choosing someone based on, you know, you don't care about friend, friendship goes out the window, okay, or at least for me, I'm like, I don't care, no, you, we are friends, but you are garbage on ba- the basketball court. I don't care. I want my enemies who are good in basketball playing with me. I don't care about friendship, okay, because it's about winning. Winning is all that matters. Friendship, winning, winning. That's all that matters, okay? So you're choosing based off a of skill, right? But here, this particular case, God is choosing love, mercy, grace, but the minute he does that, we are then what? Set apart. We are set apart. Right? So, that, so it starts with election. Right? We are set apart. Now at that point, are we made holy? Not election. We're just chosen. We're just set apart. Right? Okay? We're not, that, that doesn't even mean, that's not even salvation at that moment. We're just, I mean, it's, it happens before any of us are even born. Right? So we're set apart. Before time, before creation, before anything. So in a sense, there is the, the stage, some would refer to election as being a part of this. Does that make sense? All right? Yes? No? Okay. All right. So, um, okay. So, yeah. Election. Now, the next one. Oh, boy. Um, what do we, how do we want to call this one? Um, there's, I got, I got an art. There's a lot of different articles. Some have three stages, some have five stages. So I'm, I'm trying to determine how, how I'm, I'm kind of making these. I'm changing all. I'm, I'm ignoring all the art articles and going with my own. Okay, all right. So here's what we're doing. The next one sometimes would be referred to as conversion. All right. Um, I think we can. I'll think we'll just call it justification. Right, uh, because that includes a lot of things. Right, that includes a lot of things. Right, so. What happens in justification? Okay. Well, we are immediately declared to be what? Perfectly righteous and holy, right? That's setting us apart, right? We are justified and declared to be righteous by faith, yes? Now, we buy the more, now, and, and with, and some people want a conversion because you can bring in a lot of things. You can bring, you can bring in regeneration. You can bring, well, just, I'm just going to go with justified because immediately at justification, here's what happens, right? So, if the minute I am justified and say Emma isn't justified, immediately a separation and a distinction is being made because I just have been declared to be perfect and holy and Emma hasn't. Right? That separates me from everyone. The minute you are declared to be perfect and righteous, even though you're not, 
but positionally you have. And that happens by whom? God does that, right? We don't justify ourselves. God is the one who justifies, yes? He's the author and finisher of our faith, right? He, he does it all. So I, I, I'm going to just say justification. We could, we, could, we could throw in some other extra things here. We may. We may end up with six stages before this is over, but that's okay. I just want you to see justification, all right? That clearly separates me. Election is in the times past, and I'm separated because God has chosen that at some point in time he's going to do what? He's going to justify me, right? Kind of going back to the Romans 8 concept, right? Predestination, right? Right. So we have we have justification. All right. Does that make sense? All right. We we could put there's a possible another stage we could put in. What stage could we put before justification if we wanted to? Like if we wanted to put another stage. Say it. We could go with the effectual call because not everyone receives the effectual call. Right? We could have an effectual call before justification if you wanted to. Right? We could put a, a stage there. Correct? Yeah, we could put that there. Would it make sense? Okay. And again, with justification, we could put, we could add regeneration. Right? We could put that there. Okay. Okay. There's a, lot, there, a lot of those go together. Exactly. So that's one of the reasons I'm kind of doing it that way. But I just want you to realize there's some other things we could add here. We could add here. Do what? Yeah, he does, yeah, he does refer to call there. So, but, but, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll just, I'm just saying you could put it there. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, you, this, we could expand this out a lot, but I just want you to see that in each one of these things, there clearly is a separation. There is a sanctification. There is being a set apart. And we see it in election. Clearly, we see it in justification. Now, the third one, we'll just put this one here for now, all right, would be what? In fact, the third stage is the one most associated with the word. We're still looking at the stages of sanctification. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll call this the Christian life. We have election, times past. Justification happens in time. And then you have the Christian life. This is the stage most associated with the word. Right? This is the stage most associated with the word. As one article put it, I'm going I'm to just read directly from it. The, they, they refer to this as the third stage of our sanctification. is the one we most often associate with the term. That is the Christian's whole life between conversion and death. It is, it, if this aspect of our sanctification begins with a new birth, it doesn't end there. Just as a healthy natural birth is followed by growth, maturity, and so on, so is the new, new birth followed by growth in grace. All right? Now, here's the thing. This part of sanctification, now this is where you can get a discussion in how it occurs, but this part of sanctification is also, this is, during the Christian life, is filled with a lot of things, right? It's filled with a lot of things that can happen during this stage that cannot be forgotten. For example, go to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The people at the church of Corinth are what? Sanctified. Okay? Now, which sanctification is that referring to, right? Which stage? Well, clearly, it would it could deal with election. Clearly, it could deal with uh, being justified, right? But now we've got to discuss the Christian life, where this is where everyone, everyone puts the emphasis on sanctification and the Christian life. But go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. The same people that he just referred to as being sanctified. How does he describe them in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1? 
And I, brethren, right? Please note, refers to them as brethren. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you yet now, uh, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for there is among you envy, strife, division. Are ye not carnal and walk as? All right, the sanctified ones. In their, now, this is the Christian life. This is a stage of sanctification. And what this stage of sanctification can be filled with what? Well, just mention everything in 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Carnality. Envy, strife, and walking as what? And there can be division. Walking as men. What does that mean? Walking as men. Like, they just walk like men? Like, walk like lost people. Walk like lost people. The stage of sanctification can be filled with everything. It can be filled with pride. It can be filled with lukewarmness. It can be filled with sexual uncleanliness. It can be filled with hypocrisy. It can be filled with lying, theft, corrupt. You name it, it can, be, it can show up within that stage. There's no way to get around it. It can show up within that stage. Over and over and over and over. Do we not see it? Over and over and over. Now, here, here's the thing. Does, does Paul say, hey, guys, your, your sanctification clearly demonstrates that you are not justified? So to what? A church. And in every church, what is there? Gobs of problems. You have every kind of sin in the world mentioned in these churches, Right? You have every kind of sin. Well, how is that possible? Think of it this way. The first stage is election, at God choosing, electing, right? It's, it's we have nothing to do with it. Then he justifies us. The Christian life demonstrates what? The Christian life demonstrates not only the need for sanctification, it demonstrates the great gulf and distance between our position and the reality of our lives. And remember, what do I always say? How do I always define the Christian life? The impossible task of living out practically what is true positionally. We will never live out practically what is true positionally, because positionally I'm perfect. So it's the imperfect attempt to live out what is perfect. This sanctification is a very key part, right? It's a very key part of sin. If you don't, if sanctification is not occurring, you may convince yourself that you're really sanctification is a constant revealing of how far you are from it. What what I, I have often said: What's the goal of education? To show you what you don't know, right? Education is supposed to show you you're stupid. If you go through an educational system and come out thinking you're smart, then the teacher didn't do its job. The teacher's job is to say, see, you still don't get it. See, you still don't understand. See, what are you doing here? And you're like, I'm here because I don't get it. And you're like, exactly. That's why we have to continue to do so. So some people, if you can walk out of school going, I'm really smart. Ooh, look at me. I'm really smart. Then you ha- you, your teacher was garbage. Your teacher is to constantly show you what you don't know so that you keep pursuing knowing. Sanctification is the process of you constantly realizing how far you are from what you should be. Does that make sense? That's the whole process of sanctification. There's a lot we could talk about that, but does everybody understand that? Okay, I just, I just, you have to just realize that. Okay, you just have to realize that because it, it, we're never, we're never gonna, we're never gonna be where we're supposed to be. We're never gonna get there, right? So there's stage three. What would be stage four?
Well, if you get to glorification, then where are you going to have stage five? <laughs> you kind of just ended everything. Okay. So, so what would stage four be? Come on, thinking caps on. Come on, thinking caps. Right? Okay. All right. What happens when a person dies? Okay. Before glorification, just in physical death, what tra transpires? To be absent from the? Is that a separation? Is that being set apart? You're being set from life. You're being set apart from everything. You're being set apart from the world. You've been set apart from everything. Death is a, a part of sanctification because it separates you from everything. What else are you set, set apart from? You're set apart from everything, right? That's a, that's a part of sanctification because you are being set apart in death. Remember, we don't think death... Remember, the whole Christian perspective of death is to be absent from the body is present from the Lord. The minute of death, I am set apart from this to something else. It does, it's, not to, it's, not, it's not an end of existing. It's a change of existing. Right? We just go from life to something different. I'm being set apart from it. Okay? That is a massive part of sanctification. Right? Think of it this way. The sanctification you experience in your Christian life requires death to, to complete it because you're going to have to be set apart from all of this. And death is how you're set apart. Obviously, Christ could come back, but I'm saying nor, and nor, a normal way of working. All right? And then what would be last? Then glorification. Then glorification. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Glorification at stage two. Wait, 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 guys. We, we got to get to stage two. Okay. We have five stages here. Okay. What is after glorification? If y'all know something, I'd, I need to know what it is. Okay. All right. Now, some stages will call this, instead of glorification, they'll call it resurrection. Just so that you know. Some, some books will call it resurrection. Now, you see, we could add a couple of stages there if we wanted to, right? We could break it down with election. We could have calling. Let's take that back. Effectual calling. Because calling, everyone receives a calling. Effectual calling is the only one that works. Right. So much, you can see how people want to start sanctification at. Right. Right. Be, because, well, because they do that. We're, we're, right. Well, I think, the, I think what we, we always tend to do within the evangelical world is we forget the done, being done, and will be done kind of. In other words, there's always these three stages in a sense that it's been done, it's being done, and it will be done, right? And I know that sounds logically inconsistent, but in the sense that there's certain aspects that God already did, right? He elects, he justifies, he saves. But then there's a process of what? This whole thing called the Christian life where these things are being played out. He elected me, but now salvation has to occur within time, right? He sanctified me, but then there's a sanctifying that's going on and there will be a complete sanctification. Or as some people will say, I have been saved. I am being saved. 
and I will be saved. So there's always these three parts. Just like we confuse position and practice. We confuse, we confuse position and practice, and we confuse these three stages. Because in sanctification, the, the people at uh, the Jude is writing to and, and the church of Corinth, they're already said to be what? Already been sanctified. Okay, clearly that's referring to something done and past, but clearly it's still being done. So there is a, there, that's, a that's a very important distinction, and we, we mess that up all the time. We mess that up. All three. And in a roundabout way, all, kind of a lot of them do, right? In a, in a roundabout way. Now, justification is a one-time thing. Okay, so the... So, the election is passed, right? But the election then shows up, and then the calling. So there's certain things. So there, yeah, some aspects are, and then other. But the, and in many cases, they do connect. They do touch all. Like, all of them are touched and connected. But there are those clear distinctions where something's specific in time. But there's a lot of aspects of God did this in the past. He's working it out in the present. And we'll finish it in the future. I think that's important. He, he, our, when you think of our salvation, there is a past aspect, there's a current aspect, and there'll be a future aspect, right? And, and, uh, and different, uh, different parts of it comes in and out, right? But what we have a tendency to do with sanctification, we, we just focus on the right now and forget, well, we've already been set apart. And, I, and the reason we have to look at the past part is because right there, you've been justified. You've been, or, I'm sorry, you've been uh, sanctified. You've been sanctified. Well, okay, how, if I've been sanctified, then what's happening now? Okay, I'm being sanctified, right? But the one sanctification is I'm per- perfectly set apart for God. Nothing can change that. Okay, I've already been made holy. All right, positionally, I've already been made holy. I've already been purified, declared holy. I am perfect. So in one sense, I can look at anyone and say, I am justified and I am sanctified. I am holy because the Bible calls me to be holy as he is holy. That's a commandment nobody ever fulfills, but yet we have fulfilled it. It was fulfilled for us. Right? So there's all those different aspects to it. But, uh, so when, when he said, because this is important, he's going to tell them, hey, you've been, you've been sanctified, and then he's going to write a letter with warning, 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 problem, problem, problem. Jude! I don't need to be worried about any problems. I've already been sanctified. No, because now that sanctification is going to play out in Jude. Think about it this way. This is very important. Sanctification in 1 Corinthians deals with sin, pride, like things of the flesh, right? Because sanctification involves a constant striving and moving forward that. Jude, it's really going to be more about theology. There's a... There's a Sanctification in practice, there's a sanctification in theology. There's, that sanctification deals with different areas of our life as well, not only different stages. All right? So everybody got those stages? Right? Does that make sense? Any, any question about those stages? Right, no? Okay, go back to Jude. So Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, them, them that are sanctified by God. Now, let's just, uh, the Father, let's stop right, stop right here. Just a couple of things to remember. Just, this is very important. Just remember, in all aspects of salvation, there is a positional and there is a practical. Positionally, they have been sanctified. Practically, they're being sanctified. Right? You've got... It just, it, I think once you destroy that distinction, everything begins to fall apart. Everything begins to fall apart. Everything begins to fall apart theologically. Okay? Or then you have to, or, and if you, if you don't have those two concepts down, kind of the position and practice, then you end up with a weird system like Roman Catholicism where they can't, that you have to have a mathematical formula to even know where you are, right? Am I in a state of grace? I'm not in a state of grace. Okay, I did this, I'm not. Okay, I was infused, but I lost it. Now I got to get it back. Okay, wait, I, I earned five indulgences. So those five indulgences take away this. Okay, now I have to go to purgatory. It's like crazy trying to even figure it out, right? 
And I'm not in any way exaggerating that. It is because you're like, you're saved, you, you, you know, initially, then you're infused with that righteousness, you cooperate, you commit a mortal sin, you're no longer in a state of grace, then you have to do this and this and this to try to get back in a state of grace, you commit a venial sin, you weaken that grace, then you can restrengthen that grace through this, you can earn an indulgence if you do this, this, and this, and this, and it's just, you need a chart. Well, I think, I think, well, you've got the, the, well, I think what happens in many, in many cases within Catholicism is you have the same thing that happens in many, within the evangelical world. It's just this feel, I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm better than I think, than I really am. They won't be honest with, the, I mean, like if you miss a mass, if you don't go to church on a Sunday, that's a mortal sin. It means any Catholic who's skipping mass just committed a mortal sin. They're no longer in a state of grace. Okay, do you understand the significance of that from their theological system? That person is going to go to hell, okay, unless they get, no, and the average Catholic doesn't even acknowledge that. See, so it's like, here's the system, and then we're just going to ignore the system. And that, yeah, that becomes problematic. So hopefully that makes sense. All right. So, but so I want you to understand that we have to see this as the positional, and then being played out in the pra- practical. All right, we're almost out of time. All right, we'll just go to the next word. And the next word is preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved in Jesus Christ. Let's just quickly look up the word preserved. Let's just quickly look it up. We won't be able to make too many applications here. up the word preserved, if I can find where I did with my, okay, uh, hang on, I wanted to uh, play the word, I don't know what happened to my uh, Blue Letter Bible app, it has disappeared from the face of the earth, okay, did I, there it is, okay, <laughs> there you go, someone is playing the word, okay, all right, I will play it here, no, no, no I'm glad you did that, okay, all right, here we go. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, where did the word go? Or, or where did the app go? Okay, here we go. Preserved. It is this Greek word. Here we go. Strong's G, 5083, Tereo. 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 Now it's used how many times? 75 times Tereo is uh, translated 57 times keep, 8 times reserve, 4 times observe, 2 times watch, 2 times preserve, 1 time keeper, 1 time hold fast. It, the Strong's definition is what? It's a lot there. Okay. What do we want to focus on? To, uh, to watch, akin to, to guard from loss or injury, properly by keeping the eye upon, thus differing from a different Greek word, which is properly to prevent escaping, and from which implies a fortress or full military line of apparatus, uh, by implication to detain, uh, to by extension to withhold, personal ends, a whole lot of things going on there, right? Oh, I mean, there's a lot we could take apart. Now, that, that, that always makes me dangerous. That, that, that always makes me worried because it's dangerous. Why is it dangerous when you see that long list of things? I didn't even read all of it and I was skipping a lot of it. People can go crazy with that, right? They're like, oh, look, 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 the word preserved here. But see, it could mean this or it could mean that or it could mean this. And you just, oh, man, okay. It just, you just start, yeah, that's, that's because frustrating. Okay, simply to be kept from loss or injury. That's, yeah, you could go. Yeah, you could go wild with this, right? People could go crazy. But it's simply put, to be kept from loss or injury. I think that's a fair way of saying it, yeah? I think that's a, a, an easy summary, yes? What is the outline of biblical usage? All right, to attend too carefully, take care of, and I love that one, to keep one in the state in which he is. Now, this is interesting. All right? Now, we can't take the word apart anymore because we're out of time, but I'm going to ask, here's the million-dollar question for the day. This is, this, is, this, is, this is for all the money, okay? This is everything. 
All right, you ready? All right. In his greeting, he refers to the people he's about to warn strongly of two truths about themselves. That they are sanctified and they are preserved. Now this book, we've already said, is the survival, the survivor, survival manual, if I can say the word right, survival manual for dealing with invasion, insurgency, and an attack upon the faith. Now, if someone's getting ready, hey, here's the survival manual. Here it is. Here it is, right? And this is your survival manual for everything you're going to, to experience with false doctrine and heresy and all of this. Why is it significant? Here's the question. Why, what is the connection between telling them that they are sanctified and they are preserved when dealing with such dangerous, a dangerous situation of all of these false teachers and false teaching? Remember, this is a survival manual. He's in the, before the survival manual, before he even gets to all the things you have to survive, he gives them two important concepts about themselves. Sanctified and preserved. Why, what, what's the significance? Do what? Okay. Anybody else? Okay, someone said hope. That's good. I mean, just think of it as a letter written to you. False teaching is everywhere. False teachers are going to come into the church. There's an invasion occurring. There's an insurgency happening. The faith is being written out of existence. But before I warn you about all of this, I want you to know two things about yourselves. Ah, there we go, right? Your position in Christ is absolutely safe. Can false teachers change your sanctification? They, yeah, they can derail you, but they can't change my positional sanctification. I am set apart by God. I was done so before any of the false teachers ever were born. I was, I was set apart by God before there was a false teaching. Because when I was first set apart, the only thing that was there was God. That's good news, right? That's good news. Nothing can change that. Right? And next, preserved. I'm kept. I'm protected. Not now now this is very important because a lot see you see notice the difference between position and practice? Doesn't mean I'm not going to deal with the struggles of false teaching. As Sarah said, it doesn't mean I may not be derailed, maybe confused, maybe discouraged, maybe depressed, may even respond in an inappropriate and ungodly manner. I mean, you guys do that. I don't. I typically am calm when I see false teaching and I never have get upset or have a problem. Okay? But you guys have problems with your anger and your words. And, and you, but some people, I, and, and that's good news for you guys, right? Because what does it mean? I'm, being, I'm joking, people. Okay? So they're like, well, I'm, I'm not like that. Okay? I'm joking. Okay? Um, the good news is you are preserved. In what way? And my position and my position in Christ Jesus. I'm preserved in Christ Jesus. And, and if you, the outline of biblical usage, Stacy kept mentioning it, it. The one that jumps out at me is we are preserved or kept in a state in which we are, or which we are, right? We're kept in that state. What state are we kept in? Saved. We are kept saved. We are kept saved. Now, this is what gets me in trouble, right? Because I believe this. But this gets me in trouble with Christians. I remember at my church in Nebraska, I preached a sermon. And uh, I had been dealing, we'd had uh, two Mormon missionaries had come to my Sunday school class, right, um, at, at the church. Had Mormon missionaries had come to the house. And so I, was, I, dealt, I did a kind of a sermon on Mormonism. And I told everyone, and you know what I told everyone to do? Go read the Book of Mormon. Do you think that went over well? I didn't understand. I mean, oh! 
You can't do that. How dare you tell you you could you, I could what? Come on, tell, tell me what could happen. Come on, come on, tell me, tell me. Okay. They, 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 and I'm like, wait a minute. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. So what could happen? Well, they could get confused. Oh, oh no, that would be horrible if they got confused. What, 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 I won't even know how to ha handle it. If some Christians got confused, <laughs> that's a horrible thing. No, that would be the best thing that could ever happen to them. Because confusion is the way you work your way to truth. Truth doesn't like, I don't know, I know truth. No, there's a big Valley there you have to walk through. Like, yeah, I don't know about, oh, I'm so confused. Oh, well, man, I don't know what to do. That's the whole, if you don't want that, get out! Right? Because truth is not for you. Truth, I mean, this nonsense that just like, you know, you sit down, here's truth, I've got it all figured out. You don't have anything figured out. You just want certainty. And some people want certainty over truth. And when you want certainty over truth, you don't care about truth. Because certainty rarely ever has anything to do with truth. People want easy answers. That's why conspiracy theories are so powerful. They look at the world and it doesn't make any sense. Give me a, this conspiracy may sound insane, it might sound crazy, but it's an answer. It explains why. Why is this happening? Oh, COVID, it can't just be, a, a, it had to be created in a bio lab by the Chinese to get rid of Trump so that they could bring in Biden so that we could get microchips and we could get the mark of the beast. Okay, it makes sense. Right? At least there's an answer, right? People don't like uncertainty. Uncertainty will lead people to embrace anything. Right? But my view is, wait, 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 wait. If I am sanctified, done, and I am preserved, done, then why can't I say, you got questions, Emma? Here you go. Here's, here's the Book of Mormon. Read it. Then you'll have your answers. And people say, but what would happen to her? I don't know, she could learn some things, right? And maybe she could figure out what they actually believe. Could she get confused? But if she's preserved and sanctified, what can never happen? Right, if you, see, we believe, isn't it weird how, how theoretically we believe in the eternal security of the believer, but in practice, we're like, oh, okay, Okay, we've got to be careful, be careful, be careful. Hide, hide everything. Hide everything. Don't, 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 don't look at any of bad books. Right? And, and some people walk into this church and they're like, that's a Catholic catechism. Oh, how, how did it get there? Did you know there's a catechism in your church? How did it get there? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But we have a pope back there. Probably is the one who brought it in. Okay. Where, where uh, see, what else do we have up here? Uh, oh, Oh, okay, yeah, this, this is the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Oh, oh, well, that, that could be scary. Oh, what else do we have here? You see, I don't know. Uh, I had the Satanic Bible somewhere, okay. I know people just online like, what? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's probably, I don't know where it is, okay. Probably someone burned it, probably someone, who, who put this here, okay. So can you imagine someone cleaning the church? What is this? Okay, okay, right. But the reason is I'm not scared of that. I know it sounds crazy, right? And I understand you have to use wisdom. I'm not saying you just be completely foolish and crazy. I'm just saying that, we, that if we truly believe that someone is preserved, someone is kept, and someone is sanctified, the, the, he's telling them that, yes, you've got all of these horrible things happening, but in one sense, it can't, it can't get rid of you. It can't change anything. Does that make sense? That's good news. Because sometimes we think false teaching, we're like, oh man, what could happen? What could happen? The word, now, listen, it's still bad if someone gets confused. It's still bad if someone goes through a stage and it causes them great trouble. I understand that temporarily nobody likes to see that. But if they're true, if, if we believe in the eternal security of believer, God will do what? He's going to preserve and keep them. And ultimately, we believe that they will do what? Come out of the confusion. 
You say, well, what happens if they don't? Well, you tell me. If they don't come out, then there's a possible sign that they weren't, that would be, because now salvation can be determined theologically, right? Because if you don't believe in the right things, I mean, then, then it becomes an issue. But I'm just saying that we, we, it's like we so, like, you, you can't lose your salvation. And then we're like, okay, all right, but we've got to do 900 things to make sure you don't lose it. I don't have to do 900 things to, to make sure you don't lose it. Because... You didn't, you didn't, you're not the one who did it, and you're not the one who keeps you. God is the one who keeps, he's the author and finisher. Not me. Not even as a parent. Some parents are like, okay, I'm the author of their faith, and I'm the finisher of their faith. I'm sorry, you're not. You're the author and finisher of giving them your rules that you want them to follow. That's not salvation. It's not. I wish I could author and finish somebody's faith. I'd start with my own, right? If I, had, if, I, if, I, if, I can, if I can be the author and finisher, then I'm going to focus on me. But guess what? If we're the author and finisher, considering how messed up we all are, we would, we would never finish the book. Or, the, fin, or the, uh, the ending wouldn't be very good because of our own depravity and our own sin. We need something else at work. Does that make sense? All right? I'm not saying being foolish. I'm just saying that in a roundabout way, he's saying, guys, you're, you're going to be okay. Your survival, your survival is based on what God has done. Now, do you still have to worry about false teaching? Yes. Do you have to still, I mean, do you still have to worry about sin? Yeah, we still struggle against sin, even though I'm eternally secure, right? So that you see that there's a balance there, right? I'm just trying to get that balance across. All right. A lot of people will misunderstand that, but that's okay. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Very important word, sanctified. Help us understand it. Help us be grateful that we are preserved and kept, not by ourselves, not by our righteousness, but by your son, Jesus Christ. And we are grateful for that. And we ask this in his name. And God's people said,